Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. Today, we get an opportunity to hear more of the uh, great interviews that have been conducted on JM and the AM, uh, including this one with Professor Yonatan Halevi, Director General of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. He was in studio with us to discuss some of the latest news and some of the most amazing developments at Shari Tzedek in Yerushalayim. Professor Yonatan Halevi, live on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. JM and the AM on a uh, Thursday morning. That's Eitan Katz. Last night we had the uh, privilege and pleasure of being with um, the distinguished crowd at the uh, annual dinner of the American Committee for Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. And this morning we have the distinct honor and pleasure of welcoming into our studio Professor Jonathan Halevi. He is Director General of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. He has held that title now for 30 years. And um, for those of you out there who have been following what goes on at Shari Tzedek, and take great pride in what happens in Shari Tzedek on a regular basis. Professor Halevi, of course, uh, he probably would not say this. He'd say he's one of the people, but many would say he is the person responsible for the incredible projects <clears throat> and reputation of the hospital. Professor Jonathan Halevi, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Um, I'm going to start this conversation in a very unusual fashion because I'd love to talk about last night's dinner, and we will, and I'd love to talk about some recent innovations, and we will. But I I was thinking the other day how this terrible earthquake takes place on the border of Iran and Iraq. And I would bet, after the conversations we've had about Israel's immediate response to the world's natural disasters— I would bet you had a thought about what a shame it is that you and your team would not be welcome to help out in that situation. Well, a very original question, I must say. But uh, yes, it did cross my mind a couple of days ago when, uh, when that happened, but was immediately rejected because we would never be invited. I also want to emphasize that um, the reserve duty of my deputy, Dr. Offer Marin, is to be the commander of that hospital. I'm not... Uh, being uh, over 69, I'm not part of the team, but I had the privilege uh, to be with them running the medical aspects of the hospital in Nepal a couple of years ago right. in 2015 in the earthquake there. So, yes, it did cross my mind. I can only tell you that usually when such things happen, like in Mexico a couple of months ago, uh, usually uh, Dr. Marin is on the phone with me immediately. We are going. Uh, we are preparing to go. The IDF is considering sending us. I didn't get this phone call uh, this time, yeah. as expected. As expected is right. And it just it, it begs a larger philosophical question, frankly, which is not our topic for today, but I know you'd appreciate it, that if, if the world would only give Israeli ingenuity the time and space and peace to deal with these types of issues – things would be so much better, so many more innovations. Well, we told you subjectivity, us as Jews and Israelis, the answer is of course yes, and you can see it on a minuscule, maybe not such a minuscule, in the Syrian border. It's right. a daily thing. We are in Jerusalem, so uh, we saw very, very few with complex issues, but uh, my colleague, uh, Dr. Zarka, in Tzfat, in Ziv Hospital, a Druze who runs that hospital, which is so close to the Syrian border, has treated, together with the Naharia Hospital, 
thousands, we are talking now not about hundreds, but thousands of Syrian refugees, and I would not use the term refugees. They are just a couple of kilometers, severe injuries inside Syria, and uh, we have many, many grateful patients who uh, came to the hospitals in Galilee and uh, went back to Syria. Will they be ambassadors of goodwill or ambassadors for peace? I'm not sure, but maybe as the number increase, and I hope it will not, because I hope for peace inside Syria as well, right. as long as Iran is not sitting on our northern border. Right. I, um, I believe we'll have many grateful patients in Syria. So yes, the answer to your question is uh, affirmative, and we could do a lot more. I do believe that the world recognizes the technology that comes out of uh, Israel, I mean, to mention one, this is Professor Shashua, uh, whose um, advanced technology to uh, make progress in the autonomic car arena was sold to Intel for $15 billion, which had significant contribution to Israeli economy because the surplus that we have in our budget this year has to do mainly with the taxes that he paid out of these $15 billion. <laughs> Mobilizer. So, so mobilized. Mobilize. So you have one example of Israeli technology, and I know that anybody who holds a cellular in his hands and who doesn't uh, knows that a lot of the gadgets inside that cellular came out of Israel. So we are very proud of that. What about an MRI for infants? Would that be something that would be developed in Israel? It was developed. I know, I'm saying. And we have the first, uh, the first prototype installed in our NICU only a couple of weeks ago. Th- this and is what, a Sharitzetic project, an Israel project? It's what a, is the It's MRI? a joint project. I mean, the technological aspect. We are the beta site for uh, that company uh, mm. in Israel, but I can only tell you. And it's an Israeli I, company. It's an Israeli company. When I stood there on the ninth floor of our new next generation building that was built, with the help of many of your listeners, and they saw the first very low birth weight baby with his crib put in on a respirator, put in the MRI machine, which is probably one-tenth of the size of a regular MRI. And you could see on the camera his face, his smile, and uh, all the vital data being monitored. And we could do an MRI of his brain instead of putting him to sleep and mobilizing him to the third floor of the hospital and endangering him. In what would be the traditional the MRI machine. So, yeah. So, they, exactly. so, so if they needed an MRI on an infant, that's what they normally it's would have done. in the center of the NICU, of the right. neonatal intensive care unit, and there was not a dry eye among the 10 people, you know, the representatives of the company, Embrace is the name of the machine, and uh, Dr. Alona Benun, who is the principal investigator in Sharet Sedek, a senior neonatologist, it was very moving. And since then, we did many more. So it's the first time in the world that if you have to diagnose a brain problem, many times it's bleeding after traumatic birth. So bleeding can be diagnosed with an ultrasound, which has been used, it's being used all over the world, and this is no problem. But the MRI is so much accurate, more Mm -hmm. accurate, and can diagnose other, other pathologies. You know, what else... A pair of parents who have a newborn, sometimes normal weight, sometimes low birth, very low birth weight, and there is a suspicion to a neurological disorder. Just imagine if they can, on the spot, when the baby is a few hours old, exclude it. Or, God forbid, 
confirm, but they know exactly what's going on and what's the prognosis. It's a major achievement. Well, well, my triplets are 19 years old. I'm trying to think back. If my wife was here, she would tell you all the tests they had. I can't remember exactly, but you're describing the entire mechanism of the baby. Everything that the baby has. Everything that can be diagnosed by MRI. Well, not just, I'm saying differently. In other words, if the baby is in a crib or that entire that entire piece can just go with the MRI and not disturb all the because there must be a lot of you know tubes and 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 everything and, can go in. Exactly. It just goes in as yeah. as is and very that. safely and on the spot, being monitored by the neonatologist, can be taken out of right. the machine if God forbid something happened on the spot. How quickly do these major machines develop in Israel? Get to other countries? How quickly does it happen? Is there an example I think you can give this us? This one, I believe that. Uh, in a year to two years, if we finish, we are doing like the first 50 babies. Right. Half of it are done. We will analyze the results. The initial impression is that it's as good as a regular MRI. If this comes through from this research, I believe that within a couple of years, every NICU in the world will have this machine. And is there a cooperative, I don't know, committee, an international committee that looks at these, like we would say the FDA, you know, in this yeah. country, that looks at these machines and course, and, and, and then makes recommendations of for governments to purchase them. And nobody, nobody will buy it without right. FDA approval. FDA and the European Parliament right. Authority. Rabbi Yonatan Alevi is here. He's Director General of Sharit no, Tzedek. Not Rabbi yet. Oh, I said rabbi? You did. Professor <laughs> Yonatan Alevi is Yonatan here. is enough, but rabbi no. At the, <laughs> Director General of Sharit Tzedek Medical Center. In Jerusalem, some people at the Pinsker Synagogue may say, Rabbi, when they see you, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> last night was an incredible get-together uh, in New York City for the American Committee for Shari Tzedek. I pointed out earlier this morning that it is one of the most uh, across-the-board diverse crowds of support I have seen at a dinner. Every aspect of the Jewish community was represented. A lot of enthusiasm for Israel in the room. I think it's unique that both uh, both young and the older part of the community are well represented, not just a sprinkling of either, but really well represented, a lot to be proud of. Um, we understand why people in this country and in other areas of the diaspora take great interest in what's going on in Israel, especially when it comes to the IDF, uh, etc. How is it that there's been such an attraction from outside of Israel to the medical situations that are going on in Israel? Well, first of all, I would give the first credit to um, the American Friends of Sharit Tzedek, an organization that opened its gates back in 1949, so will be 70 years old in 2019. Right. It's run today by Rachel Wolf that you saw uh, last night. Other key figures, Sharon Goldwyn and Maury Liebman, uh, these are people who made it happen. They were able to continue and really to carry the torch to the next generation. You witnessed yesterday... Yeah. Uh, Two young honorees who raised $100,000 through the Bolaton. And uh, we are very proud of that. I do believe that the common denominator of the crowd is that most of them visit Israel. Some of them infrequently, some of them very frequently. And they were impressed firsthand that uh, Shari Tzedek today, and I say it with all due subjectivity, it's the largest hospital in Jerusalem. We are centrally located. Some of them uh, used our services, mostly, thank God, for minor issues. Right. You know, when you're a tourist, uh, you can uh, fall sick, you can uh, fall and break something. And this is the central emergency room in the city of Jerusalem. We uh, have close to 100,000 adults annually. 
over 30,000 children. It's by far uh, the largest emergency room in Jerusalem and one of the largest uh, in the state of Israel. And a similar number, close to 30,000 women coming to our OBGYN emergency room. These are three emergency rooms that are very popular, that raise the trust and confidence of the people of Jerusalem more than ever in the past. Don't forget that we opened our gates 115 years ago. But in the last decade, from 2006 to 2016, we doubled every parameter of the scope of activity of the hospital. Number of beds from 500 to 1,000. Number of deliveries within a decade out of the 115 years. Number of deliveries from 11,000 to 22,000. Does your committee know that 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 speaks of expansion? You need you need larger facilities. They do know, and they also want to. I mean, we depended for many many years on donors in this country, and this is the time to express our hakarata tov, our gratitude. But I want to tell you that with the new money in Israel, we are starting to see many donors. The rich people in Israel live in the Tel Aviv area, most. Um, prefer to uh, you know prefer to give to the hospitals in their vicinity right. but if you take even the mobili that I mentioned Aaron Shashua the creator of mobili who probably will be one of the main contributors to the autonomy car is a major donor of Sharetzer we got recently a very sizable gift of many millions of dollars from an Israeli but Merubim Tzorchei Amcha to build the hospital I mean we just built a new intensive care unit, and the cost was $12 million. So, uh, did, they ask, need, did they ask if those contributions go to a specific part of the hospital or a specific project? Some or? of them, yes. Some of them leave it to my discretion. Uh, after 30 years, I think most people <laughs> can uh, trust me, and if I say that the money will be used for development, for capital projects, we try not to use money for salaries. I believe the donor should not pay for salaries. But any purchase, renewal of equipment, uh, this MRI machine for the babies didn't cost us because it's part of right. the research and better side. But to renew our MRI machines, the CAT scan, we are buying now a new CAT scan for the emergency room, and all the equipment that becomes obsolete after 7 to 10 years, to start a new department to improve the physical facility. Mm-hmm. We just finished a 72-bed Department of Surgery that attracts patients from all over Israel, thanks to the leaders of this department, and as many of the departments in Sharet Tzedek, and this is very important for me to emphasize, we try to recruit the best people in Israel based on their professionalism and personality. And when they come to Sharet Tzedek, they find a very supportive working environment, and they believe this is our main attraction. We always say that when it comes to hospitals, the the front line is the is the first impression that patients get, and your staff, your nurses, your volunteers, those who are right. on the front lines in the emergency room, do make quite a first impression. Uh, Professor uh, Jonathan Alevi is here, Director General of Sharetetic Medical Center in Jerusalem. What I'm, I'm just curious, what does an MRI machine cost? I mean, we, we're we're talking about how much money when someone wants. Well, to, a regular, yeah, I'm not talking regular about MRI machine. neonatal. A uh, regular MRI machine, it all depends. You measure the resolution power, the intensity of How the machine by units, by units called Tesla. The two popular machines are one and a half Tesla and three Tesla. We have both of them. Each one is around one and a half to two million dollars. People have to understand it costs a lot of money to run a hospital and to help people get better.
Um, the newest project that we are aware of is a radiation oncology center, a precursor to a comprehensive cancer center that's coming down the road. Now, this is, I mean, we've discussed this before. This is something that has come up in our conversations that a tremendous amount of money, resources, and um, and attention is being given to cancer treatment now at Shari Tzedek. What is the update regarding this? Well, we try to develop our services according to the needs of the community. There are two processes that lead to it that we see more cancer patients uh, today. Maybe more than two, but the two are very prominent. One is longevity. If you live long enough, uh, you have more chance to develop cancer. The other one is early detection, which is very prominent in breast cancer, prostate cancer. The first one is the most common cancer among women. second one is the second most common cancer among men, and the other types of cancers are discovered early, and when they discovered earlier, there is higher chance for cure. We are not talking about cancer today as a deadly disease. We can cure many, many of the cancers, and if we cannot cure them, we can prolong life of quality, and actually cancer became a chronic disease. Recognizing these facts, uh, we decided to embark on a comprehensive project for treatment of cancer. Now, there we have now a big oncology unit. The treatment of cancer stands on three legs. Surgery, where we are really leaders. Chemotherapy, where we are also well-known in Israel for many, many of the fields. We just recruited a new breast cancer uh, specialist, Dr. Shani Palov Shimon, who is joining us in January. And most of, uh, I'll tell you, in the city of Jerusalem, with its one million people, the greater Jerusalem area, there are about newly discovered breast cancers a year, 650 women. Hmm. About 450 of them are treated in Sharet Tzedek. The third leg of treatment of cancer, or treatment of cancer stands on after surgery and chemotherapy, is radiation therapy. And uh, we decided, as we do with everything, to build one of the um, you know, largest, comprehensive, up-to-date radiation oncology centers. We already started digging because most of it, the linear accelerators that are delivering the radiation energy are, has, have to be underground. We started digging. It's a two-year project. It's a $50 million project. Is there a lot of American one- support for that project? I hope there will be because we just started the fundraising Mm. campaign. I can only tell you that we already have what you call an encore donation of $20 million from an Israeli who recognized the fact who lives in Jerusalem and gave us, but we need uh, another 30, and uh, we hope to fundraise it in the next two to three years and to finish building within two years. That's the plan. I can also add and tell you that the architectural plan for this facility won last week international recognition. In Hmm. Sweden, there is an International Academy for Hospital Architecture, and it's won the first medal. uh, I would never think that there's hospital architecture that people pay attention to. Anybody who is interested, I can show you the artist's impression and the plans for this center. uh, Is there enough space on your campus for all of this? So that's uh, another thing. (laughs) With our expansion, the city and the government, recognize the importance of expansion of Shari Tzedek. There is a governmental decision not to build a new hospital in Jerusalem in the next two or three decades. So it's Hadassah with its two campuses and 1,000 beds, Shari Tzedek with its two campuses, main campus in Bayit Vagan and right. a smaller 
where Bikur Cholim was, with its 1,000 beds. These 2,000 beds are to deliver inpatient care and ambulatory care to the people of Jerusalem for the next few decades. So we got all the land around the hospital from all sides, and we do have a hill between those of you who know the campus, between our nursing school and the Herzl Boulevard, where the light train goes. And that's where we are digging and hoping to complete the Radiation Oncology Center within the next two years with God's help. Unbelievable. Professor Yonatan Alevi is here, Director General, Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Last night, a very successful dinner, Baruch Hashem, in New York. Uh, by the, I'm curious, what percentage of your doctors are native Israelis? Would you know? Well, from year to year, they compose more. When uh, I was born in Israel of 1948, five weeks after the declaration of statehood, uh, there were uh, 700,000 Jews uh, in Israel, and barely, naturally, few who were born in Israel or in the former Eretz Israel or Palestine. I believe the percentage then was about 5 to 10%. I can also tell you that as a young physician in the 70s, most of my patients were Holocaust survivors with a number tattooed on their hand. You couldn't practice medicine without understanding uh, Yiddish. Mm. 70 years later, or 69 and a half years later, it's completely changed. I, my guesstimate is that uh, about 60% of our staff are Israeli-born, but wow. I can also tell you that most of the senior staff uh, at least spent, including myself, two years in this country. You probably know that the most sought-after medical title in Israel is GIA, Gevain in America. <laughs> and uh, we have to express Akarata Tov to this country because we are all graduates of distinguished universities. We brought the research to Israel. I spent two years at Yale University right. 30 years ago where I did my gastroenterology fellow. And I cannot think of a senior physician, head of department in Sharet Tzedek, who did not spend a year or two or three in this country Many of them are American Olim who came to Israel in the last uh, two or three decades. Uh, when Obamacare started in this country, I interviewed them more, some of them through Nefesh Benefesh, yeah. who we met last year. Yeah. I interviewed more physicians who are coming to Israel. And most of the physicians who come to Israel prefer to live in Jerusalem or in Ranana. So we benefit, although we have a sub-dominance among our staff today, we benefit from the United States of America and from the Jews of this country tremendously. A young man or woman in Israel who wants to be a doctor would go through a similar training and schooling that you went through, or it's very different right now? Well, medicine is very different. Medicine is very different. We memorize everything. Today, we educate our medical students how to approach the huge data how to approach the patient, the educated customer, the educated patient who comes to uh, the physician already knowing, although it's unfiltered data from the Internet. So medical schools are completely different than 45, 50 years ago when I was in uh, medical school. I must say that the students, I believe, more talented. To be accepted to one of the five Israeli medical schools today, you have to have a maximal MCAT and final exams in high school, and also personality tests. One of 20 is accepted. This was the situation when I was a medical student, so this is the same. But the contents is completely different. My only wish is that in this 
digital era of medicine. Well, each and every one of us within a few years will have all his personal medical data on his cellular phone. Well, we will be able to put the phone on our chest and receive immediately an echocardiogram, an interpreted echo, not only electrocardiogram, but echocardiogram, and that in this digital era, the future doctors, and in Shari Tzedek, we put a lot of emphasis on that when we train our medical students from the Hebrew University Medical School. The doctor-patient relationship will not be affected because today you can diagnose a patient without seeing him, without examining him, but looking at the patient, exchanging um, conversation with the patient, looking at his smile, the way he or she shake your hands has an utmost importance in order to understand the patient better, to diagnose him better, and to lead to cure. So our main goal in medical schools and postgraduate training today is to keep the human touch, to keep the personal doctor-patient relationship despite the technology that enable you uh, to do almost everything without exchanging a word with patients. And also a patient deserves to receive bad news in a proper manner and deserves to receive good news in a proper manner. That's for sure. We live in an era of autonomy of patients. I can tell you that in our medical school we have a course called the course for Psoramara, mm. a bit bitter news for the patient, how to deliver it, how to adjust it, to match it to the patient's personality, uh, how to exchange uh, these words uh, with the patient. And, uh, of course, of vot, uh, good news are uh, easier to tell. and We are always anxious to do it, but some physicians have problems discussing bad news with the patient, and even this is being taught in medical schools today. Unbelievable. Uh, Professor Yonatan Alevi, Director General, Shari Tzedek Medical Center. Incredible things happening there as uh, he leads them uh, in his 30th year as Director General. Information about all of this, acsz.org, acsz.org for American Committee for Shari Tzedek. And Mazal Tov to all the honorees at last night's Heart of Jerusalem dinner. As I mentioned earlier, it was... uh, an incredible, uh, an incredible get-together to see every segment of the Jewish world be represented at the dinner last night at Shari Tzedek, I think is emblematic of the type of support and enthusiasm that Shari Tzedek enjoys from this country. And uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of wonderful people are really committed to the cause, and I know that you appreciate that greatly. Thank Rosh you very Hashem. much. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I thank you for that. Show. I hope to see you again in Jerusalem. Only in good health. As Rata said. Yes, only in good health is right. <laughs> Professor Yonatan Alevi, a very special guest for a Thursday morning broadcast as we continue at JM in the AM. That was Professor Yonatan Alevi, who is the Director General of Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem during his recent visit here at JM in the AM. Uh, up next, Rabbi David Heber, who joined us this past Friday to discuss Jewish calendaric trivia, especially vis-a-vis the brand new year of 5778. Rabbi David Heber with some interesting facts about our current year on a recent edition of JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. JM in the AM on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Toldos, and Rabbi David Heber is with us live via telephone. We had, we had well, some years we never even get to it. I'm glad finally that it's almost Rosh Chodesh Kislev when we remembered we must analyze 
the year 5778 with our calendaric expert and consultant. Rabbi David Heber is a kosher administrator at the Stark A. He is the rabbi of Kahal Avas Yisrael Tzemach Tzedek down in Baltimore, Maryland. Rabbi David Heber, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Gurb Nachum, Shabbos, and to you and to all your listeners. You know, it's funny, we always quote the Hasidic, um, um, the Hasidic um, um, directive that one may say Gemar Tov until Hanukkah, but in our case, with me and you, we really should say Gemar Tov, because, yeah, right. <laughs> or, or at least a, uh, you know, Ksiva Ksiva because for us, this is the beginning of the year, because we finally have gotten an opportunity to analyze the brand new year of Tufshin Ayin Ches. Um, well, first of all, Rabbi Heber, I guess we'll start with this week because uh, tomorrow is uh, Shabbos Mavarachim, well, Benchrosh Chodesh, which will start tomorrow night. And uh, that means that we read Machar Chodesh as a Haftorah instead of the regular Haftorah of Parshas Toldos. What could you tell us about uh, Shabbos Mavarachim that includes Machar Chodesh? Okay, so of course, that's, that's well known. The Machar Chodesh is tomorrow, as you've said. We're actually. In the dry, we're completing and finishing a dry spell of <laughs> Machachaitish. It's yeah. been uh, 19 months. Wow. You've got to go all the way back to the year of a year and a half ago, Erev Shchaitish year of a year and a half ago, when, uh, well, that year was Pesach was a Shabbos, so Shchaitish year was Sunday, Monday. Right. And it's a year and a half, over a year and a half since that's happened. And that's the longest dry spell, because when you think about it, it should happen um, every every six months or so, technically, because Rishchidosh, you know, goes through the week. It's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, etc. I'm trying to think what we missed. Oh, what we missed. Okay, so we got to go through. We got to go through that. Let's see. Um, Russia. Well, Elul. In back, you go back a year and a half ago. So Elul was a Elul Sunday. Was, was Shabbos Sunday. Anyway, okay. you don't do Machachidosh right. Elul. Correct. So that that was knocked out. Right. Then you had uh, the next opportunity. Would have been um, Rishchidosh Shvat was a Shabbos, and then Rishchidosh Adar was Sunday Monday. But you had Shkolim, ah, so that that got knocked out. Ah, um, ah, and then ah. let's see, the next opportunity would have been um, Rishchidosh Tamas, which was Shabbos Sunday. So again, you had the Shabbos Rishchidosh, so you got Rishchidosh in there. Right. And yeah, now, now we're I here. get it. Yeah, once you said the Arba uh, Parshios the Shkolim, then then I then I understood already. Um, now, speaking of Haftorahs, and I'm not trying to throw you off track here, if there's more to say about Machar Chodesh, let us know, but uh, we are about to embark on a holiday that has a major impact on a Haftorah. Am I correct that it is extremely rare because of Hanukkah that we ever read the Haftorah of Parshas Miketz? Yes, that is true. How often do you think it happens? And I know I'm putting putting you on the spot, but... It's about, I think it comes out about... One in ten years or so. Is it that often? Uh, I would think it's even less than that. Wow. Yeah, it hasn't happened in a while. Here's what has to happen. And what you would need, I assume, is Hanukkah to start on a Thursday night, would it be? And Thursday then, night, yes, and then right. Mikates That's would correct. be, and then Mikates would be Matzi Hanukkah, frankly. Correct. Exactly, in other words, right. you'd light Friday. In other words, on Thursday night, you'd light eight candles. Exactly right. So that's really like is quote unquote Isu Chag right. Hanukkah, uh, which happens, and that's the only time. So. So you need, what happens, it's a year where Rosh Hashanah has to be on a Shabbos. Right. And both Cheshvan and Kislev are 29 days. And so what happens is um, you have that, you have Hanukkah ending, again, uh, Matzah, as, as you said. Right. 
And that's why I, I get once at least once or twice a year, Mikate, someone comes over with the Chumash. Why, why is this Haftar of Mikate here? You know, you know what that Haftar is? It's one of the most famous stories in Tanakh, actually. It's the, it's the story of Shlomo HaMelech, where they came with the child, you know, the two mothers yeah, arguing. Yeah, that's that Haftarah? That is that Haftarah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the people in your shul are obviously saying to you that we never say it anyway, but that, that's not true. It, it's rare, but we do say it. Right, so it's coming up. We, last time we said it was in the year, uh, I believe in the year 2000, at the end of the year 2000. Oh, so that, it's, um, it's already 17 that was, years. It was a while ago. That's already 17, uh, yeah. 18 years ago. Right. And then the next time we're going to say it is 2020. Wow, I believe also at that. So you have a twenty-year gap wow. between uh, between one and the other. Very that's a long interesting. time. That's, that's that's longer than the average. Yeah, but, a, ki- uh, a kid who has real Mikates, boy, he, yeah. he he ain't reading that after yeah. for quite a while <laughs> yeah. after that. Rabbi David Heber is with us live via telephone, doing a little calendaric trivia as we like to do toward the beginning of a brand new Jewish year. Now I'm sitting here with a pretty prominent Jewish calendar, and tell me if I'm right or wrong. This is also Rosh Chodesh related. I'm sitting here with a prominent Jewish calendar, and on the 29th of Tishrei, on the 29th of Tishrei, right, right before the two-day Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan, it says Yom Kippur Katan. Is that a mistake? Am I right? There's no such thing as Yom Kippur Katan in the month of Tishrei? Correct. Yeah, that is a mistake. So it's a mistake. So and if that's correct, then then my calculation that the most Yom Kippur Katan observances you can have in a year is eight is likely correct. Because you cannot have it in Nisan going into Iyar, correct? Correct. You cannot have it, as we just said, Tishrei going into Cheshvan. You can't have it on Hanukkah, correct? That's Correct. Well, that's three, and there's a fourth that I always right, think about. And an L, right, coming to Rosh Hashanah. Oh, right, an L to Rosh Hashanah, you wouldn't do it, right? Right, so it's four, but in, in a leap year, you'll have the, the nine. 13 months, so 13 minus right. four. Right, it would be it's nine. It'll be nine. So so it's the most you're going to have is nine. So it's funny, Yom Kippur Katan, which everyone thinks is is monthly, you really lose a third of it. It's funny. I don't know. I don't know why that strikes me, but... Uh... Correct. What, what is interesting, though, is that the ones that you miss out, you really say slichus right around there for another reason. Mm. If, you, if you analyze those four cases, you have, of course, Erev Rosh Hashanah. Right. It's not Yom Kippur Cotton, but you say Slichus. Right. And then you have, um, if you do, if you say Bahab, so right. by you know, the Eir and Cheshvan, right. instead of Yom Kippur Cotton, you have Bahab, which comes up right away. Oh, then Chanukah, you have a Sarabatavis. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, you know what you've just proven, Rabbi Heber, that the rabbis, as usual, never let us celebrate. If, we, if we're mi- if we're missing slichas, they're going to make sure to get it back in there as as, as soon as they can. <laughs> oh, there you are. Very good. I like that. Very, very good. Now you pointed out to me that this year we know Hanukkah is coming up uh, very, very soon. Uh, if it's Rosh Chodesh uh, tomorrow night, then Hanukkah is just three and a half weeks away. You said if if a young man was born in two thousand and four. There may be a problem with his bar mitzvah day this year, right? A very, very interesting shaila, a really fascinating shaila, and that is, a, I guess, a, a brief introduction. As yeah. as is well known, the months of Cheshvan and Kislev are are could be twenty nine or thirty days. You can right. have different combinations. It could, they could both be twenty nine. They could both be thirty. Or you could have like this year, twenty nine days in bar Cheshvan and thirty days. In Kislev. And these are the only two months that that applies, right? Every other Correct. month, every other month That's is it. set, right? And it's interesting. And if, if you give me a chance to give a little drush at the end, sure. not too long. Don't <laughs> worry, not, not too long. I'll tell you an interesting insight into 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 those two months, okay. into these two months that right. we're coming up on. But anyway, so what happens is it's sort of like 
the February 29th issue that we have, and it works in two ways. In other words, if we compare Lahavdol February 29th, where it's not there, say so we all know people born on February 29th. I have my little Hall of Fame of of, of students who have been born on uh, February 29th, <laughs> yeah. and and you know they're only they're really 16, but they're only four, right? They're 20, they're right. 20, they're only five, right? They all joke around, right? So that when you have when someone's born the 30th of Cheshvan, uh, now 13 years ago was not uh, had also only 29 days. Of Cheshvan, but if someone's born the 30th of Cheshvan, and their bar mitzvah only had 29 days, so then their bar mitzvah is on the first day of the month, right? Like again, like if someone's born February 29th, their birthday technically, legally, would be March the first. Right. But what, what about the other way, which is what happens now? And that is, if someone was born for, uh, 13 years ago, a boy was born in 2004 on Aleph Teves. Okay, right. so that's the first. That is the sixth day of was the sixth day of Hanukkah. Right. Okay. So now, but it was only one day of Rosh Chodesh. Right. One day of Rosh Chodesh. This year, there are two days of Rosh Chodesh in six, Kislev. Six and seven. At the end of Kislev, right. Right. Two days. Right. So the question in the Pesukim is, how do we view that day? On one hand, it's Aleph Teves, so his bar mitzvah should also be Aleph Teves, right? right? That would be the simple way to look at it. Right. However. On the other hand, he was born on the first day of Rishchaydish Teves. It was only one day. So maybe his bar mitzvah should be the first day of Rishchaydish Teves, right. which would be a day earlier than, in other words, Lamed Kislev. Correct. It's, it's a difference of a day. So it's very interesting. The Bach, and the Mishabur Apostles like the Bach, says you actually say his bar mitzvah is on the first day of Rishchaydish. Wow. Which means this kid was born on, on Aleph Teves, the first day of Teves, his bar mitzvah is going to be on the 30th day of Kislev. Right. So pretty pretty neat Mishabura that actually he's born in one month, his bar mitzvah is in a previous month. Very interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah very it. fascinating. Now, of course, El Yerabah argues and the Piskei Tshuva says maybe one should be Machmer. So right. if you're the Rav of Ashul, with that case, you want to know which day is he going to lane and get, get, his, uh, get his aliyah. Right. Uh, and now for the sermon. Go right ahead, Rabbi Heber. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, why why these two months? Why is it the beginning of Kislev and the end of Kislev right. are the only months that have uh, 29, 30? So mm-hmm. the Pharisees, some say to do it early in the year, you know, take care take care of matters early. But I, I once saw an explanation that it's, it's you want to, you don't want to confuse people. Like if you would do it between Purim and Pesach, we know there's 30 days between Purim and Pesach. So you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, mess with those days. You do it during Svira, that would make Shavuos a different day. That right. would be very confusing. So they did it now. But the question I had for many, many years was, well, one second, it is confusing, because if somebody has, the Mishabura says this, if somebody has yard site on the last day of Hanukkah, they should not say the yard site's the last day of Hanukkah, because it could be the, the, the last day of Hanukkah could be Beis Teves, right. or it could be Gimel Teves, the right. second or the third. So it's very confusing, bar mitzvahs and, and, and yard sites. It's very confusing with this. With the middle of Hanukkah, could be switch around. This bothered me for a long time, until I, I, I once started following the answer. And that is that, what, did the, what, what is the purpose of these, these 29, 30 days? Why do we do this? It helps, it fixes Rosh Hashanah. It makes the whole calendar fall into place. You see, next Rosh Hashanah has to fall out on a Monday. Right. And to make that happen, because the Mayla then, etc., to make that happen... We make Cheshvan 29 days, Kislev 30 days, and the rest is all smooth sailing all the way through El till Rosh Hashanah. So we really are, 
or as they say in Yiddish, telling Avak, we're establishing the calendar right now. Right. What did the Yavanim, as we enter Kislev, what did the what did the Yavanim, the Greeks, the enemies who wanted to to undermine the Jewish people by the story of Hanukkah, they had three takanas, they had three gzeris. They said no Shabbos, no Mila, no circumcision, and no Rishchidosh. Now, what is so terrible about no Rishchidosh? It would knock out, you know, we live by Yom Tavim. It's yeah. such a part of, of our lives. And if we wouldn't have Rishchidosh, we would not know when to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. It, it would be catastrophic. So what do we do? When do we, so we tell the Yom like this, you try to undermine our whole calendar you know when we're going to fix our calendar so that it's all smooth and perfect and everything in place at the beginning of Kislev and at the end of Kislev. The month that we celebrate Hanukkah and during Hanukkah is where we have the final, you know, we have 29 days this month, 30 days next month, and that put the whole calendar in place to say you try to undermine our holidays and our Yom Tovim, we're going to fix them right during this Yom of Hanukkah. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I love it. I love it. Rabbi David Heber, okay, quickly, and we, we're dropped behind schedules very quickly. We know it's a year, 5778, of uh, many three-day untifs, including Shavuos, by the way, right? Yes, So it's four, it's four three-day untifs if you don't live in Israel. Um, correct. It's, it's four th- Tavshilans, plenty of Erev Tavshilans. Right, lots of Erev Tavshilans, correct. We had, and we'll have another one. No, um, no. Last no. days of Pesach in Israel also, which is... Not so common, right? Because because it'll be it'll be the eighth day of Pesach for us. It'll be Parsha Shmini for Israel. Then we'll be off one Parsha. Exactly right, right, right. right. Um, exactly. And, and I and I was I was jumping to say no erev tafshilin because I was thinking of Shavuos. But you're right, there is an erev tafshilin for Shabbos and uh, you know for the seventh and eighth day of Pesach. I didn't even think of that. We'll call this year really very average. It's very even kill. It's it's. it's I guess for for the show, it's not as exciting as some of our, you know, the right. earliest year, and, <laughs> and then Thanksgiving is Hanukkah right. and all that. Even though it's pretty early year this year, but but it's not it's not the Pesach in May, you know, right. super late, super early, or all these interesting. Uh, last year we had the eclipse, uh, all these interesting things. This year is really average. Three hundred fifty-four days in the year is the average number of days for a, a regular year, right? There could be three fifty-three, fifty-four, fifty-five. Right. It's three fifty-four. Hey, the year where Rosh Hashanah starts on a Thursday and Pesach is a Shabbos is the most common combination. There are 14 different types of years. And, and you know, where you, you know, if you look at the day of the week of Rosh Hashanah and the day of the week of Pesach, and that sort of establishes the whole calendar, there are 14 different combinations. This one is by far the most common where you have Rosh Hashanah. The you, don't have, you don't have a percentage on that, do you? I actually do have a percentage. I will tell you, I, I, on this I'm, I'll be honest, I'm cheating here. I have my little my little booklet yeah, here, which good. <laughs> gives the percentages here, and this year is known as a Hey Chaf Zion. Hey Chaf Zion means Rosh Hashanah is on Thursday. It's a Kesidron, means twenty nine thirty. Cheshvan Kislev and right. Pesach is a Shabbos. Eighteen percent of the years, wow, fall out like that. Which when you think no about wonder, this, no wonder it feels like we always have three day yantus yeah. <laughs> because we always do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. I'm so I, I must tell the people from Nefesh Benefesh they got to use this statistic to their advantage. Uh-huh. I, I didn't realize the majority of the time we have a well, year like this. Those going for Shavuot. I know in Israel they miss Shavuot. Those people making Aliyah say they miss that two day Shavuot. Now this year they have it uh, a little yeah. a little bit well, backwards, but they have uh, it. Although Shavuos is well, great this Sunday, year. Sunday, Monday. Well, those, those in seminary and yeshiva for Pesach, it's a good year for them because they, they that last day of Pesach, right. they're not walking through the shuk with everybody, you know, eating bread, right. loaves of, of bread. Right. 
But I'll say I'll, I'll say two things. First of all, on the uh, on the sh- you, you know that the the consolation prize for the three three day untifs is two things. <laughs> Number one, you have an amazing cholamoid on Pesach, an amazing setup for cholamoid on Pesach, right? If you right. like if you like to spend time with your family, it's a great week, right? Absolutely. And you have the greatest shvuas ever. Why? Because when you have to learn all night much of Shabbos, it's great to have a good rest on Shabbos. <laughs> oh, that's right. Very, very good. <laughs> so you have very a good. couple of really nice consolation prizes coming up in the spring and summer. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. You betcha. So right. there you go. Rabbi David Heber, a kosher's administrator at the Star K. He is the rabbi of Kahal Avis Yisrael Tzemach Tzedek in Baltimore. But for us, most importantly, he is our Jewish calendaric trivia expert. We are about to play your father's um, uh, Yehi Rotson from uh, Birchas Chodesh from Benching Rosh Chodesh. Give us a few seconds. Tell us where your father was from and uh, a little bit about him. My father was born in Poland, and he was a chazan and a rebbe in St. Louis for many years. Uh, he was a chazan. He was a, 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 a Orthodox chazan in Tzfers Yisrael and the congregation now known as Tik. And he was in Chassid Shalemis. Um, if those remember that story where they had the tombstones that were you know pushed over. That cemetery also had a shul where my father was the chazan. Wow. Not not near there. It was a, it was a few blocks away, but it was it was a very beautiful shul. And uh, he he made two records. Um, he was a very beloved chazan, a very beloved rebbe in the Epstein Hebrew Academy in St. Louis for 27 years, and a chazan. And uh, he made two records. This is from his first record that that he he, he made in the late 1950s. He was about it is late. He was in his late in his late twenties when he made this record, and uh, there's some very very nice pieces. And he was and I known, really appreciate. And he was known as Cantor Samuel Heber. Yes, correct. And people knew him as Chazan Heber, Chazan Shmuel Heber, Cantor Heber. Right. And uh, you know, this was Chazanus was was part of him, and he he used he taught his students. There's students all over the world. Maybe some of them listening that sing many Nagunim that he taught. He was a sixth-grade rabbi. He taught them Trump, how to lane. One second. So, you, so, so the, the Rabbi Heber who spent all that time with us in Manhattan Day School was a what to your father? My uncle. That's, that's my father's younger brother, my uncle Usher. Got it. Uh, and, and and your father's uh, Yehiratzon is going to close out this segment. Rabbi Heber, uh, all, all, what can I say to you on a day like this? I couldn't Chodesh. What else? You too. Shabbat to you and your listeners. Take care. Shabbat Shalom. Birkata Chodesh. Here it is. Kedr Samuel Heber at JM in the AM.
Chazen Shmuel Heber um, with the Hiratzon as uh, we get set for Shabbos Mavorachim here at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi David Heber about the Jewish calendaric trivia for the year 5778. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. More coming up if you keep it here at JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network.
Finally my mama said go to the store Go to the store and pick me up some potatoes Well I said to the bag of no need to be flattered If it's money that you want then it's money you'll get But there ain't nobody but the Holy One The Holy One The Holy One Oh. 
Oh, no. 